Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have to come before you and to look at your word. We ask that your word just be strong in our hearts and, and build us up and glorify us. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Genesis chapter 4. Very hard book to find. Very first one in the, in the book. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and they called his name Seth, for God said, She shall, has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And Seth, to him also that there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then they began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we're going to read today. I want to just look at this. Uh, we've talked about Cain and his unrighteous line and all the stuff that they had uh, looked at. We looked at Lemek, who, who was bragged to his wife that he, that he had killed uh, several men. And now we're looking at the next reported child of Adam and Eve. And we, we want to reiterate, they had more than just three kids. <laughs> now, they had more than just uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth. It says they had sons and daughters. So we just want to make sure that you, if you're ever asked, where did Cain get his wife? He married a sister. Uh, most likely a sister. Could have been a cousin, but most likely a sister, that first generation. Uh, not a problem there. It's very easy to understand because most people look at this and they go, well, all, all Adam and Eve had in 900 years were three kids. And that is not what the scriptures tell us. So here we are. We're looking at Seth. And Seth's name means compensation. Okay, Eve was looking at, I've been compensated. I had, to, I had a son and God has given me another one. So he gave birth to Enos. Now Enos was born at about, well, he was born at 235 years after creation. <laughs> uh, so this has been quite a while. In 235 years, we've already talked about there have been many kids, many children have been born up to this point in time. I remember a couple weeks ago we told you it might have been as many as 3,000, 5,000 people on the world at the time Cain killed Abel. And that gives you a little difference in your thinking process. You know, most of the time, I know when I was in Sunday school, we always thought, you know, Cain killed Abel, the only, you know, only, there's only four people on the land, he killed 25% of the people. No, there's a lot of people on the, on the world at that point in time. Uh, they're old enough that when Cain is exiled, he takes his wife with him. So which means that they're not these little children. These, they're not teenagers like we, were, like we see in our Sunday school classes or we're led to believe in our Sunday school classes. Or if you remember the little, when you went to Sunday school, the little posters they would show, you know, and they would show these guys, you know, in their teens, you know, and that's not the right vision for this story. They're probably in their 30s or even 40s or even older at this point. So here we are. We have... Enos being born, and there's an interesting statement here that says, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, this, I found that a very interesting statement when I was looking at it. I've never noticed it. In all the times I've gone through the scripture, I had never noticed that little statement. So we're going to look at this statement. And we, we kind of wonder, you know, they've got 235 plus years. Okay, this, this uh, event can happen anywhere from 235 years after creation to uh, 11, 1140 after creation, because that's when Enos dies. <laughs> Is it 11, 1140 years after creation? Uh, 
And so we've got a long period of time for this to happen. But we think about this. Why weren't people calling on the Lord for those first years, at least 235 years? And, you know, I got thinking about that and I started doing some research and, and trying to figure out what was going on. But, you know, Adam and Eve had a lot of guilt in their life. They had lived in perfection and rejected God. Okay? And they really weren't even granted the idea of you could do something to stay in the garden. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We would almost equate that with heaven because it would have been just like heaven, a perfect environment, you know, all the food you want. You don't have to worry about sickness. You're not going to die. God comes and talks to you in the evening. <laughs> you know, how much more like heaven could Eden have been? Maybe the only thing that could have been different was that you actually stood in his presence all the time. But they felt God's presence. They saw God's presence. And then they sinned. Can you imagine the amount of guilt that they had in their life? We know how much guilt we sometimes have when we sin. I've seen people get so guilty that they leave the church because they're so guilty. They just don't want to be around the, the other Christians and the praising of God and the preaching of the word. So they kind of dwindle off. For these few years, there's a lot of guilt in it. God has told them how they can bring, bring the sacrifice and be, be covered and have their, have their sins covered. But there's not a lot of religion going on. There's not a lot of following after God at this point until this little statement comes along. Then they began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is a special line that we're looking at. And we're going to look at this because we've been introduced to Cain's line of sinners, evil, and it's going to play a big, big, big part of our uh, message when we get to the flood. Cain's line, sinners, unrighteous. Seth's line, calling on God. Why did Seth call on God? He had something different in his, in his mindset. He had something that was different about how he came to God. And I don't know about many of you, but you know, can you remember back when you finally decided to make a decision for God? the life change that happened at that moment. Many people you know, will come to church all their life and never make a decision for God. They're just going through the, through the paces. I, you know, I, go to God, you know, I go to church, that's my giving God his due for this week. You know, I, gotta, I gotta pay God, I'm gonna give him, some, give him an hour of my time. You know, how generous. <laughs> you know, how generous to give God one hour of your time out of the whole week. I, and I've told you all, I really believe that God wants us to tithe our time as well as our, as our finances. You know, that means that each of us should spend about two and a half hours, 2.4 hours if you want the exact, but about two and a half hours each day with God. Now on Sunday, for some of those who come to Sunday school and church, that, that takes care of your two and a half hours pretty quick. But do you spend time with God the rest of the week? How long do you spend in the Word? How long do you spend in prayer? It's pretty amazing that in the, er, that in the 1700s, uh, one of the pastors got up and said, there's going to come a day when people can't handle a two-hour service. You know, and and, they, and that time, at that time, you're out, your services were two, three, four hours long. And, he's gonna, and he prophesied there'd be a day that, you, that people would not endure a two-hour service. 
we're there. You guys are good. You're not, you're, not, you're not bad. But I've seen churches where people are starting to look at their clock at, at 12 o'clock. You know, kind of signaling to the pastor, Pastor, <laughs> uh, you're going over. Do we actually have that thought? The song we sang, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Do we desire more of God with each passing day? Do we desire more of his word with each passing day? Do we desire more time with his people with each passing day? Or are we still stuck in, okay, God, I'm going to give you my one hour a week. And God, you should be really happy I give you that one hour. Because, man, my, my weeks are busy. I believe it was Martin Luther who was asked one day, you know, he made a comment, he goes, I've got a really busy day tomorrow, I've got to get up earlier so I can spend two extra hours in prayer so that he could schedule his day. And it wasn't to get the prayer done earlier, it was to get two extra hours in because he knew that when God was in charge of his day, things went smoother. Have you noticed those things? I've encouraged people, start your day with God. The days you start your day with prayer and the Bible reading, have you noticed that they are smoother days because God is orchestrating the day? Maybe it may be just that you're noticing things a lot clearer because you're putting your mind on God in the first place. You get those divine appointments with people where you get to share the gospel with somebody just because you put your mind on God in the first place. It's a great way to start. Then men began to call on God. We need to be calling on God because he has set us up to be his children. Do you know how special that is to be his child? To realize that we're a sinner and accept Jesus Christ and have him change who we are. I really love it when I meet people who have gotten excited about God. Not just performing. Not just coming to church, but you see the growth in them. You see the growth. And there are certain people in this church that I've seen so much growth in, and it's a pleasure to see how God is changing their life. Because God wants us to get totally His. Totally. He doesn't want just part of our life. He doesn't want us to... He, matter of fact, He doesn't even just want the tithe of our life. He wants all of us. He wants every bit of us to be His. And we have this habit of, well, here's my Sunday morning hat. I'm a Christian today. <laughs> I'm going to let everybody know that I'm a Christian. And here's my Sunday afternoon hat. Uh, this is what I do with my family or, or watch my sports or, or whatever it might be, sewing, whatever my craft is. But God, you know, you're, you're, you're Sunday morning. Here's my Sunday afternoon. Look out. I'm putting on my Monday morning hat. Now I'm a work. I'm, this is my work hat. God, you have nothing to do with work. I can lie to these people. I can cheat these people. I can not work. I can, I can you know, not, not put in quality hours, God, because you have nothing to do with this time. God wants us to be part of him all the time. A Christian worker should be one of the best workers in the business, putting in their full shift, not taking longer breaks, not taking... You know, how, much can I, how little can I do and still get away with it is not the attitude of a Christian worker. We need to have Jesus as part of our life in every part of our life. 
When we're dealing with our children or grandchildren, are we bringing God into that relationship with them? When our kids look at us, our grandkids look at us, our nieces, nephews look at us, do they see a godly person? Or do they see somebody that shortcuts God? You know, the phone rings, so tell them I'm not here. You know, now it's pretty easy. You just look at the ID and see whether you want to answer it or not. But, <laughs> but before you used to have to say, well, I'm not here. Because you didn't know who was on the, on the line. But do we have the standard? Are we being honest? Are we dealing with integrity? When we are dealing with authorities, do we treat the authorities with the respect that God tells us to treat them with? This is something that is very serious for us to look at. Because we have people looking at our lives and saying, are you really a Christian? Do you live the way I expect a Christian to live or not? And you know, teenagers especially in our day are looking for something that's real. They don't want an artificial religion. They don't want a Sunday morning religion. If God is real, they want a God who they can be with 24-7, 365 days a year and know that he's the answer and that he's the way they should be living. Are we showing them that kind of life? Are we showing them a life that the Savior is indwelling and changing who we are? Can we be perfect? Absolutely not. We're not going to be perfect. But they need to see something that's genuine and real. That they look and they say, that Bible is something that you're putting all of your faith in. All of your trust. Do we put our faith and trust in the scriptures? Are we completely leaning on the scriptures for everything that we do? The only way we can do that is by getting into the scriptures. <laughs> if we don't know it, we don't know how to make the scriptures the way we live. And I'm going to tell you, the scriptures has something to say on every single topic about how to live. How to be honest, how to be respectful to authority, how to have a proper relationship with your husband or your wife, how to have the relationship with your kids, how to have the relationship with government, how to have a relationship with one another. The scriptures teach very clearly how to live. Our problem is we just don't want to believe it half the time. And we need to get to the place where if I disagree with anything I read in the Word of God, the Word of God is right. <laughs> Automatically. You know, I've said that over and over again. If I disagree with something that I read, and every once in a while I go, God, that's an awfully hard statement. How can we do that? But he's right. Whether I agree with it or not, he's right. Whether we read scientific studies by sociologists and, and psychologists that tell some, something different, they're wrong. The Bible's right. I don't care that they've got 20, 30, 40 years of experience or 20 minutes of experience. The Bible is right. And we need to get to this point where we look and say, Scripture is right. Because if we can't trust this book, and I've said this before, if we can't trust what God says 100%, it's not worth anything. We need to get that in our, in our mind. If it's not 100% right, it's not worth it. I can't, if I can't put my whole life on this, it's not worth it. I'm gambling eternity on the fact that this book is right. If it's not right on the day-to-day -day stuff, how can I trust it to be right for afterlife? We need to get into this. It tells us to be truthful. 
And if you were with us on the Wednesday night study, when God defines truthfulness, it's a lot more than what we define truthfulness as. God says that truthfulness is saying everything you know about a topic. You know, what are we, what are we kind of taught? Well, if you don't say it, you're not lying. You go to court, you're, you're sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and your lawyers will tell you, don't answer the question with exactly what they ask and nothing more. So by God's definition, they're telling you to lie. And you're swearing to tell the truth. Now, we have a problem there with the world's definition of truth, don't we? We have a problem with the world's definition of relationships. You know, do you realize that most of your younger grandkids, great-grandkids, they believe that uh, having a monogamous marriage of one person is one person at a time? When you're done with them, throw them away and get another one person. Okay, that's not what God teaches. Okay, but you know, this is what they're grabbing. They're saying, well, I'm, we only have one for this week, for this two days, for these three years. When we're done with them, we'll kick, you know, get rid of them. We'll find some other one. And they're trying to say that they're obeying God's word. But that's not God's way of doing it. We need to be able to look and say, God teaches it. We call upon his name. God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to believe? The way to get this is to get into God's word. Study his word. You can do it on your own. You can do it with, with teachers. It's easier with teachers. I like to tell people I can do anything on a car because I can, I've got an internet with YouTube on it. <laughs> okay. Now, it only take me about eight times longer than it should take me if I was working with a mechanic. Eventually, I'll get it done after I've broken a bunch of stuff in the process and have to replace those. <laughs> but, you know, it's much easier when you get somebody who knows what they're doing and they're right there showing you how to do it. If you're wanting to learn how to cook, you can go on to YouTube and learn how to cook. Probably wouldn't take as long as trying to be a mechanic, but... <laughs> But, you know, it's still easier to have somebody show you, this is what I do. Here's the shortcuts I learned over the years. This is the purpose of us gathering together as a body of Christ, as the ecclesia, the gathering together of the believers, so that we can teach each other. We can teach through teachers. We can teach through pastors. You can learn what the teacher has learned over the years, and you don't have to go through the same process of learning what they learned. <laughs> You, you let them do the 7, 10 hours, of 15, 20 hours of study, and you get to just get it all down into a nice, simple, simple truth. But you do need to get to the place where you can do it on your own, especially as we see the hardships coming our way. We are moving toward the end days quickly where it's going to cost us something to be a Christian. We need to know, every individual needs to know how to handle the Word of God properly because you may just be the teacher in a few years. <laughs> teaching others because you can't have a grouping gathering like this on a Sunday morning. It may be times where everybody's sneaking into homes in the middle of the night to be able to hear the word of God. Very soon, very soon, we see it on the, on the, on the air. And this is what the scriptures tell us, that there's going to be persecution. We need to be ready. We need to prepare our hearts today for the hardships that are going to come. Because if you're not prepared... 
you're going to be struggling. If you've ever been in a place where you've had, been, you've had a situation that you weren't prepared for, how hard did you get knocked down? Yeah. And I'm not even talking about storms or anything like that. Just It could be something as simple as your family coming back home. <laughs> Surprise, we're here. <laughs> you know, one thing to be prepared for them to come for a short stay. It's another thing if they just show up at your door <laughs> and surprise you. Because those visits don't usually end very quick. <laughs> yeah. And yet on one side of us, we're saying, well, we're glad to have our kids. And the other side, we're going, get back out on your own. <laughs> you know, uh, grow, grow up and have your own life. But sometimes, I mean, that's kind of really simple. But sometimes it could be something that's really devastating. You go to the doctor and find out that the doctor says you have three months to live. Are you prepared? Do you truly believe that God is in control? Do you truly believe that heaven is real? Yeah. Because if you do, then you have a different attitude toward that news than if you don't believe this. If you truly believe that heaven is real and you get that notice, it's like, okay, God, help me get this, take advantage of the time I have before I go home. Yeah. And I've shared you with this. The church I was in in Baltimore, I loved it. They... They called their ceremonies for somebody's uh, celebration of death. It was a celebration, their homegoing celebration. They went home. No longer dealing with the trials and the persecutions and the hardships of this world. They went home. Do we truly believe in heaven and that it's home? Or are we so comfortable in this world that we're not looking forward to going to heaven? Now, and that's a fine line. We don't want to get so looking forward to heaven that we say, I'm just going to go out and end things tomorrow. No, that's not what we're saying. But when God is done and calls us home, that should be a joyful occasion for us. Well, it is a joyful occasion for us if we know Christ. But, you know, for us that are left behind, it should be, there's a sadness because we'll miss them, but there's also should be that joyful, they went home. I'm going to get to see them again. And this is so important for us. Call on the Lord. He is desiring to call us back from death. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have life. The life that Adam and Eve lost. They died the moment they sinned. We talked about that. They died the moment they sinned spiritually. And they have passed that spiritual death on to every single individual that has ever been born except for Jesus, because he had a virgin birth. He did not get the sin nature into him. He was born alive, where we have to be made alive. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in the garden, he said, you must be born again. Not just of flesh and blood, but in the spirit. When we become a Christian, we become alive. I remember that day when I became alive. Hopefully you do too. The day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you became a new creation, alive spiritually, changed from that point on. If not, talk to God. You need to know that you are born again. And it's not just a phrase that we use. It is an actual event that happens in your life. That you're born again. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He comes in. He fills you. He gives you a spiritual birth. And it changes the way you think about things. 
I've watched people who get saved and then all of a sudden they're changing their lives. They start getting rid of the sins that they could never get rid of. Not all of them at one time. <laughs> but they start bit by bit becoming more like God. Each one of us should be becoming more like God with each passing day. And as I've said, we don't usually notice it day by day. And my example is when you watch kids growing, if, you watch, if, they're, if they're in your house, you don't notice that they've grown until they come to you and they don't fit their clothes. <laughs> and you go, I guess we better go buy you some clothes. But how about those kids you haven't seen for six months or a year? Yeah. You haven't seen the kid for six months in a year, and you, know, you remember them being about this tall, and now they're this tall. <laughs> yeah. And you go, wow, you've, you've really grown. <laughs> We need to look at our spiritual life the same way over a period of time, not trying to look at, am I grown over the last day, over the last week? But we look back and say, am I different than I was a year ago? Is God changing me? If you're not being changed spiritually, you might want to look at your life and say, God, how do we get together and make this happen? If I'm the same person today that I was a year ago, there's a problem. I look in my life and say, oh, you know, I used to do such and such, and now I don't do it anymore, and I don't remember trying to get rid of it. Why? Because God changes us. He changes us from the inside. He's living in us and changing who we are. And we go, wow, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you for the changes that you're making in me. I understand the word more today than I did yesterday. I understand what he wants from me more today than I did last week. Last year, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, however far you go back, God slowly changes us. He changes the way we think. He changes the way we act. He changes our language. You know, I have problems when I meet Christians who have been Christians for, for years and they still talk like the world, you know, with all the harsh and bitter words in their, in their vocabulary, the attacks on people all the time. And I'm going... Where is God? How is, how is God changing your life? How are you showing forth love? This is important for us to see. Is our language more loving toward people? Is our language more edifying toward people? Again, it's not a place where we're ever going to be perfect. We're not going to make, you know, that we're, we're going to find that we don't make mistakes, that we don't criticize, we don't tear people down. But in general, is our language building people up? Is our language loving people? And many of you know that I will stop you when you start trying to say things that are negative toward people because I want to people to learn. I have a hard enough trouble myself with that problem. I can't be listening to others tear people down. But for the most part, I try to build people up. I try to edify because that's who God is making me. And it shows our love for one another. Jesus says, you'll know you are my disciples by your love one for another. It's important that we learn to love. Are we going to like people completely? No. And God used the word love in the first place. He didn't tell us that we were going to necessarily like one another. Love is deeper. Love is something you can do without liking somebody. You just are kind to them as you can be. Liking means that I have a personal affinity toward you and, and you're not going to have a liking toward everybody around you. You're not going to have a liking toward everybody in the church. <laughs> but you need to have a love toward each other. 
You can be kind. You can be gentle. You can build them up. And you know what? You might just find that you begin to like them <laughs> in the process of loving them. But it's very important. We call upon the name of the Lord. We call on him. We worship him. Seth's family is going to have this line that goes through and is calling upon the Lord. Seth is the great-great-grandfather, uh, great-great-great-great-grandfather of Noah. And it's his line that is going to be the righteous line. Are they going to be perfectly righteous? No. Was Cain's line perfectly unrighteous? No, there had to have been some good. that We don't get recorded anywhere, but there had to be some good that tried to follow God in that line as well. Because no group is all of anything. We don't ever have all. But Seth's line is generally going to be the righteous line calling on the name of the Lord, seeking after God. And we want to be ones that seek after God. Call upon his name. When you're in a hard place, call upon God's name. Give a prayer. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're on our knees 24-7 praying to God. It means that we're in an attitude of prayer. God, help me on what I need to say to this person. God, I just want to tear this person apart limb from limb. God, help me have the right loving attitude toward this person. Do you realize how quick God can change if you just call upon him? God, I don't know what to say to this person. I feel a door open. Help me find the words. Very simple. Very simple. Pray for somebody that when you see somebody sick, pray for them that they get healed. It can be amazing. It can be amazing what God can do. And you could be the catalyst to bring them just a little bit of God into their life. But we have to desire to do that. We have to want to do that. We have to want to serve God because he is so much in in us. But we also have to be filling our minds with his word. Filling our mind and letting him make us more like him. And then we will be a light to the world. People will look at us and say, there's just something different about you. You know. Because you know what? Most people, when you're ready to take somebody limb from limb, they kind of know that they've done things to watch you get you that mad. Very rarely do you want to really hurt somebody who hasn't done something very overt. You might get mad at somebody for something they did, but if you really get irate about it, they've usually really pushed your buttons hard and kept pushing them when, when they knew that everything was, you were already starting to get mad. But even at that point, we would go to God and say, God, help me. Help me to show this person love. But you know what? Sometimes we need to do what Joseph did. Run from the problem. (laughs) Get away from the problem. Don't stand there and try to find out how to fix the problem. There's times when it's best just to get away from the problem. Because some problems can't be solved when everything in the heat of the moment. We've all been there when, when everything is just so bad that there's just no, we can't see a way out. Nobody, everybody's emotions are running high. And a lot of times that's the best time just to back off and say, no, we're not doing this. We're not going there. May look, you, make you look weak, but you know, it's actually a very strong position to walk away and say, it's, we're done with this conversation. We're done with this, this activity. We're done with this temptation and leave the temptation behind. And that's something very important for us to do. 
But it says, they called upon the name of the Lord. We need to be calling on his name. We need to call on his name for those in our family that are struggling. Those who aren't saved, pray for those who aren't saved. We need to be praying for the lost. Because God will put the right people in their lives and we just need to pray. God, help this person get saved. Help this person live a life more like you. Help this person get past their problems. One of the things I hear so often is people giving me excuses on why they can't live a better life. Well, you know, I was raised this way. This happened in my life. This happened in, you know. I'm going to tell you the very simple way. Quit living in the past. (laughs) God's made you a new creation. He's put the past under the blood. Quit living in the past. Get beyond it and live in the now. Don't even live in the future because you don't control the future. Live in the now that God is giving you. You know, well, someday when I get over this, I will go do mighty things. No, you won't. <laughs> if you won't do it now, you won't do it then. You know, oh, because of this, I just can't talk to these type of people. Get past it, get going. You know, I love it when people go, well, I'll start tithing to the church when I make more money. Statistically, no, you won't. <laughs> The more money you make, the less you give to the church statistically. If you're not willing to give to God with, at the moment of where you're at, you won't give to him when you've got a lot more. You'll just buy bigger toys and spend more on yourself. It's the way it is. God says, what are you doing now? Not what will you do for me, but what are you doing now? And so we want to be, the challenge for us is this call on God now. This call upon his name and live the way he wants us to right now in the present day, and for him. Because that's where the blessings will be. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask that you help us to learn to call upon your name, to see what you would have us to do and live that way, that you will keep and guide us, that you will show us what you would have to do and change our lives in a mighty way. And Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that you will put on their heart today to ask you in, to confess that they're a sinner, that they deserve punishment, repent from those sins, and to ask you to come into their heart and and rejoice in your salvation. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.